Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today we have the second episode in a series dedicated to autism. Last time we had Dr. Melissa King, and now we have Dr. Jessica Taverniti. Dr. Taverniti is a licensed clinical psychologist and board-certified behavior analyst. Her clinical practice, Kula Wellness, specializes in assessment and diagnosis of autism and therapy. She is also the founder of Neurolux, which is a clinical and educational technology company that restores hope for families impacted by autism. Dr. Taverniti has been working in the field of neurodiversity, TAY, transitional age, youth population, and young adults in a diversity of settings for many years. She is passionate about helping individuals and families work through life's challenges to maximize potential personally and professionally. Her experience ranges from infancy through adulthood and has been conducting and supervising psychological assessments for over a decade for diagnosis of learning profiles, as well as autism spectrum disorder and other neurodiversity disorders. Dr. Taverniti is a diagnostician of Canvas DX, which is the first ever FDA-approved diagnostic for autism spectrum disorder. Prior to her current clinical work and her startup Neurolux, she was a clinical director and executive director for the Gerge organization. Within this role, Dr. Taverniti supervised Applied Behavior Analysis, ABA, programming within the Gersh Academies K-12 and ABA clinics, as well as oversaw training and ABA implementation across all Gersh organizations. In addition, she developed the Equine Assisted Learning and Equine Therapy program integrated into over 85 student schedules weekly. She has also supervised and developed doctoral training programs and worked as an administrator in higher education at the University of San Diego. I met Jessica a few years back, and at the time we discussed the possibility of working together. It looks like that time may come soon, and of course, when it does, we will share the results of that work with all of you. And now, Dr. Jessica Taverniti. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. I am so delighted to have today Dr. Jessica Taverniti on what it will be the second episode of a series on autism. Jessica, how are you today? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me, Raphael. Well, I am excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, as you know, this is episode two in a series of uh, dedicated to autism. And which is a topic that I have become very interested in as of late. Can you share with the audience uh, your background and how did you get to do this job? Oh, well, thank you so much for, for asking me and I'm delighted to be here. So I've had the opportunity to be working um, with families in the, the field of neurodiversity with a specialty in autism for almost 20 years now. I had come to California to start graduate school in my path of getting my doctorate in clinical psychology, and I had the opportunity to work with a very severely impacted gentleman starting in kindergarten, um, and that really started my beautiful journey of coming alongside with families. I worked closely with he and his family, and his mom was actually somebody that um, was very outspoken as far as advocacy, not only for him and other children, uh, throughout the community and really nationally. And so that really opened my eyes to how important it was to be not only 
our best advocate for the children, but for other families as well. And so I had this opportunity to work with this family and many others in, in early intervention. And this was way back when um, many families were not necessarily um, understanding what autism was or how to ask for help or support before we had insurance reimbursement. And I really took it upon myself to be a trailblazer. And so I tried to meet as many people as I could within the community nationally. Um, and that has started my, my journey, which has now turned into my career path. And I feel honored to have worked in various facets of early intervention. I've been able to be in higher education. I've um, been able to work in schools specializing in neurodiversity, designing programs such as equine therapy, alternatives. And now really I have a technology company to help families longitudinally uh, for a lifetime. So through the different kind of challenges that I've had with helping families get access to care and really understand um, that's now kind of been the, the culmination um, and really the portfolio of my work. And now I'm doing that to make it scalable across countries um, and impact as many families as I can as a clinical psychologist and board certified behavior analyst. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. So let's get right into it. One of the things that Dr. King mentioned on the previous episode was the importance of getting diagnosis, excuse me, uh, for the children. Can you, can you share your experience on that? And, you know, what, what kind of cutting edge solutions are there for both diagnosis and treatment? Sure. This is really um, an important first step. And even before the diagnosis, I really want families to know it's okay to bring up to any professional that they might be working with. Um, typically, this is a pediatrician of any concern that they might have and questions. And I think I, I really want families to know that this is, should be an open conversation with their pediatrician. This should be honest about any you know, concern, question. Parents are the expert on their child. And I really want parents to hear and to know this. And so anything that they're seeing or doing that might just be different or they're wanting more information about um, and getting more education Pediatrician is a great first place to, to have this conversation without stigma, without judgment, um, and really opening that door. Um, as a clinician, right, we only know what our families are bringing into us, but we have some really incredible technology and companies that are out here to try and help families identify these concerns much earlier on in the process so we can get children the intervention as quickly as possible. And so kind of starting on this diagnostic um, journey and uh, unlocking these doors for families is important. And it really starts with our pediatrician. Um, and so through that of, of tracking these kind of developmental milestones, right? So when early, early on, when are children starting to, to sit up? When are they starting to babble? When are they starting to, to walk? And um, Pathfinder Health has really been cutting edge on helping families track the, this milestone um, and being able to, to, to monitor, you know, what is quote unquote, the majority of children at this age doing. I, I never like to say the term normal because what the heck is that? But we look for themes, right? Um, we had, I always say, if we had a bunch of children in a room, um, the majority of them might be engaging or interacting this way. And so I really want families to, to, to think about that and to know that if your child is maybe doing something a little different, that that's okay, but we want to get them the support that they need. So making sure that families are, are looking at these milestones and bringing them up to, to their pediatrician or other um, you know, specialty care people that they might be working with. And then from there, um, 
you know, if, if autism based on the screening, so they have different milestones that Dr. King had mentioned as far as the checklist when you go to the pediatrician offices for their well visits and kind of within this, if there is concern that the child is maybe not meeting milestones as far as kind of eye contact, mobility, and language, if, you know, potentially a diagnosis or they're at risk for autism, um, the next steps would really be finding a provider that um, and or clinic that could give a full diagnostic profile. Now, I'm delighted to, to share that we um, and I uh, have personally uh, been able to team up with Cognoa, and they're the first ever FDA-approved diagnostic for children with autism and from 18 to 72 months. And they are really unlocking the challenge and mitigating the waiting list. Um, so this can be completed by a pediatrician or other, um, you know, specialties uh, areas like a developmental pediatrician, neurologist, psychiatrist, um, clinical psychologist. And really this was developed to making, giving access to care to families all around the country and not having to wait that one or two years to get the diagnosis. And so really I want families to hear the messages, please connect with your pediatrician, your family care provider, clinical psychologist, and get that assessment as far as the milestones and really where your child's at as early as possible. That is wonderful. I actually like a lot what you just said about normal. I think in many ways that is a problem word because it, it, it's not properly used, I think, in our society. I think Dr. Gabor Mate probably has the best definition uh, of normal. He talks about how no, the word normal makes a lot of sense when you're talking about the chemical levels in the human body. You know, if you have, you know, if, if, you're, if your hormones are within this range, then it's normal. If they're out of that range, then you're probably going to die. Right. right? And, and that's what normal is. But normal shouldn't really necessarily be used in terms of social behavior because what's normal for a society doesn't necessarily mean it's good for the society or that it's, quote unquote, normal in another community or another society. So I'm glad that you, that you pointed that out because I think that is that may be one of the things where people feel that resistance to try to go get the help early on. And it's because it is seen as not normal where that word doesn't really play a role at all in what we're talking about. I mean, do you agree? I absolutely agree from the standpoint of really, I find this of understanding where, where the child's at or where the family's at and helping them define what's important to them for their quote unquote normal right? That looks different for everybody. What brings them joy? What, <clears throat> what strengths do they have? Um, what would they like to explore? What do they want to build on, right? Each, each family is their own individual unit. And in my view, I, I want them to help find whatever it is and how they're defining their normal. So then we take the first step. We, we have some new cutting edge solutions for diagnostics. What comes next? Is it the therapy after that point? Yes. So connecting to um, the different therapies that would be recommended based on the you know, your child's area that they've identified, that maybe we'd like to get them some additional support, right? So again, I don't want to say deficit area or this, this is, um, you know, an area of extreme challenge. 
it's really important that we understand if I oftentimes say if we're looking at it on a continuum, we help those kiddos close the gap, right, as compared to those other same age uh, peers potentially. So the therapeutic intervention that is recommended, um, empirically validated, uh, must, much like Dr. King spoke about, is applied behavior analysis. And this is really important to get children connected as soon as possible. And you know, nationally, we have a challenge because there's more and more families that are needing to connect with applied behavior analysis, but there's really a shortage of providers. So connecting as early as possible and getting on those wait lists or simultaneously engaging with other therapeutic solutions that families can do in the meantime when they're waiting for the full kind of therapeutic intervention within their home or in a clinic for their child. Um, they can certainly do. So there's many wonderful solutions out there um, through Summit Health. There's a parent collaboration and working with other parents and really kind of a mentor of how can they do some of these, you know, therapies and having a toolbox of interventions while they're waiting. There's attend parent training, um, which actually gives parents the therapeutic kind of interventions while they're waiting for other professionals to come into their home. Um, you know, this is where... I'm really excited about the opportunity of, of technology and how do we expand access to care through telehealth platforms, right? It could be even that, that families are getting support telehealth um, kind of recommendations for interventions for their child um, and these therapeutic solutions. And so through VR, AR, AI, um, you know, depending on where the families are at and really what they're needing, we can get these therapeutic solutions that really unlock the door of learning and kind of maximizing the, the outcomes, whether that be socially, as far as communication or behaviorally um, for the children. And so I really encourage families to be open to this process and starting with the you know, empirically validated solutions like applied behavioral analysis, um, and then checking out other ones that might be available of equine therapy, of music therapy. Um, there's really incredible you know, companies and solutions that have opened this up to the community of autism and their families. And I encourage parents to try out as many things um, within reason and doing their own research um, and making sure it's a good fit for their child as well as their family. So it sounds like, it sounds like we are at a place in time where the academic work that has been done for a number of years now in this field and the empirical work that has been done and then the research validated solutions world like those three are now starting to overlap a bit more is you know and am i getting that right yes that is correct and i think what's beautiful about that is there's no one specific solution that is the end all solution and this is where you know autism spectrum disorder is a, a wide variety of individuals, right, of strengths within that continuum, as well as areas of challenge. And that's why I encourage families to do not too many things at once, right, because we want to know what's working and what has the most impact, but to be open to having a few different modalities of treatment going on at the same time. So that might look like applied behavior analysis, as well as speech therapy, as well as equine therapy. Um, as an example, um, to really see what's unlocking these, right, 
kind of these neural pathways as we're building this this skill and this repertoire. And then in turn, it becomes kind of like what we're seeing in academia and research, right? Um, of understanding why this is working and why we should be able to continue to tap into this you know, resource for a certain profile of individual. And that's really exciting. And I think that it, it used to be very siloed where it was just again, one specific treatment or one university was doing a specific research um, kind of objective. And we were saying, well, this only works for a certain subset of individuals. And I really see the community coming together through academia research, as well as these applied technological solutions and um, offering the best possible outcomes for our families. Actually, that is exciting. I mean, that is, there's always a gap, but there's always a delay in the usability of technology that is developed through academia or through research and when it's actually become useful for the population. And it seems, at least it sounds to me now that that gap is, is being quickly bridged because now, like, you know, you mentioned, you know, there's now the first ever FDA approved for diagnostics, but there's also on the therapeutic side, there's now a mixture of diverse, solutions, both empirically validated and research validated and academically validated that are available for people to to try out and to see if any one or any combination of those creates or, or helps out with, uh, with a particular child in a particular household, as opposed to relying too much on one particular thing that may have worked with one particular group of kids. So it's that sounds that sounds like enormous progress. That sounds like exciting progress. Very much so. And I want to go back to something really important that you said of families being open to explore uh, different modalities. And I always say that it's important to ask you know the questions and be educated on on what it is of what is the objective, what is the outcome. Um, but this is where we can really, um, you know, we're encouraging families to be more and more open to research. And and I want to tread lightly with that because I think research oftentimes scares people. But really, I see this as an opportunity to be explorative with caution and us really understanding of why something is, is helpful, how it works and the mechanisms um, of really kind of blazing the trail for other families ahead and their own family and so back to what you were saying is what we have in, in research in various facets, whether it's through local autism clinics and they're doing research on different therapeutics or we're doing research on genetic testing. Um, there's a, a study going on nationally called the SPARK study, which has been really instrumental in us understanding the genetic components of autism um, across different family dynamics. Um, so research really does inform kind of best practices and care and care, and we never know what might be best for that individual. And so I always say, you know, be careful who you are, are engaging with, but through those projects, through universities, like you were saying, through different academia, even clinical trials um, are really important for us to continue to advance our, our science um, and how we can help support these families longitudinally. I'm so glad that you said that because I think this is one of the one of the topics that I am very passionate about. I am a proponent of science. I'm a proponent of of living in a community where where science is is sought after 
because it helps us understand, you know, the world. And on average, people have some sort of fear of of the research work and in rightfully so. I mean, the research work independent of the area is hard. It is hard to to do a study and manage all the possible variables, which in a case of human behavior is always it's even harder than doing and say with a with a specimen, right? With 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 a with a sample. You know, when you're talking about behavior, the idea of creating a proper scientific study requires an enormous amount of time, obviously money, but more important than all that is how to segment the study so that adequate conclusions can be drawn. That means you have to look at all the possible possible variables that could be impacting the study. And that's very difficult, and, but it's part of the process. And we, we cannot not do it. We have to keep doing it. And to keep doing it, we need people to be open to trying it out because that's how we make progress. Absolutely. I, I like to um, liken it to if we were looking for advancement of, of treatment of anything medical, right? Um, we would want to try it out. We have to be able to understand how, how it works. And, you know, the other component about research is, you know, they're not able to set up to your point, uh, a research project and, and doing it without a plan or specific intentionality or, you know, governing bodies looking over it to making, making sure it's, um, going to, you know, mitigate the possibility of adverse effects. And I, I, I think I want to express that there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, governance to this in a beautiful way of really making sure that we're setting it up in the best possible way. But we do want to, you know, I just want to reassure families that, and I would encourage you to be, you know, curious about this and open to this um, as, you know, through the different universities that are doing this or the different research projects, specifically in autism, we're trying to answer many different questions at one time, right? Whether that be through therapeutics or the genetic understanding, um, different interventions, understanding kind of longitudinally, what will the outcomes be for the individual? But we really need families um, to be able to help us answer those questions. And we're only as good as the people that engage with us to get those questions answered. So let's let's bring it for cir- circle now. So we we talked about some cutting edge solutions to diagnose. We talked about some therapeutics. How do we go about uh, optimizing the outcomes for the families and their day to day lives? Well, <clears throat> these families are definitely on an odyssey, right? I like to call it the autism odyssey, and this journey is going to look very different you know, for every family, but there's oftentimes themes that I see families go through. I encourage them to you know, strive for. And really that's kind of much like we had spoken about earlier, finding what are the goals for the family? What lifestyle are they, are they wanting to, to embrace and to adhere to? And I really encourage families to, to find their optimal wellness. And what I mean by family doing so of making sure that the, the, the you know, parental unit um, is the best they can possibly be in addressing their well, wellness of you know, mind, body, spirit, of taking care of themselves. And it really starts at the top of the, the caregiver unit. And from there, it, 
goes down into potentially the individuals as well as the siblings and really finding the family why, right? We talk about our why and business or our personal journeys. And I like, I, I like to also encourage families to find their own why. They're, who are they as a family? Who do they want to be and how do they strive for finding their purpose and their passion? And I really see this in finding the family strengths of maybe activities that they enjoy together, joining with different organizations. So they're finding a community of other, of working with other families or other parents or other siblings that really understand um, kind of what this autism journey can look like uh, for different families. And again, kind of much like we talked about with research or different therapeutic interventions of trying different things out. I think it's because families are taxed in every which kind of facet of caring for their child or individual or searching for resources or answers, right? It's a very, unfortunately, we're in the system of a very reactive um, versus being able to, to show the world what we have. And that's really what I continue to try and do is, you know, preemptively share with families of, hey, try this out. This might be something that um, is helpful for your child or your family. And so embracing in that real, that whole family wellness and really having them define that, whether that's kind of spending time together on the weekends or they enjoy traveling to certain destinations or they're, you know, like to go in hikes in nature, if that's something that, that fills their cup. Um, but making sure that the family unit is addressing their their wellness first and foremost. And then from there, it really creates this lifestyle of optimization um, and best quality. So that's really interesting. Let me, I want to do, I want to zoom out and then zoom in and share something with you and see how this, get your thoughts on it. So a couple of episodes ago, I had Dr. Scott Scher, who's, who's my doctor. He's a, a metabolomics uh He's an MD. He focuses on health optimization through optimization of the gut biome. And the work that he and, and, and his colleagues are doing is just, is just phenomenal. And he opened my eyes to the amount of research that has been done across, across the world on the impact in humans of unhealthy gut biome and how an unhealthy gut biome uh, leads to hormonal imbalances, leads to brain fog, leads to a long series of problems that could be perceived as personality problems, right? In fact, he shared with me a number of papers on the you know, ADD, ADHD uh, community and how some percentage, I'm not going to quote it because I don't have the numbers, but there was a percentage of that folks in that community who were able to get better by improving the quality of their diet and by healing their gut biome, right? So there seems to be an enormous amount of work being put in how to get our, our nutrition to a place where our gut biome is healthy and the bacteria in the biome is doing the things for us that it's supposed to do for us because there's this connection with behavior. So is there a parallel there now zooming in into the, the, the world of, of autism uh, about the importance of nutrition for the quality of life or of, of the children who, who are who are living with 
uh, with autism? Yes, thank you for for asking that important question. Um, you know, kind of as we were talking about the whole family wellness. Um, certainly, that's important for the, for the family unit, but specifically for the individual with autism, we are finding there is this um, you know constant kind of understanding that we're coming to as far as the GI challenges of an individual. Um, has a diagnosis of autism and depending on right the the severity of, of the autism the individual is going to be able to express different things right so sometimes we have nonverbal children that aren't able to necessarily tell us verbally right that they're not feeling well or that they might have an, challenges with like digestion and other foods might be bothering them and I see that this is a really important kind of question mark that we need to do more research and understanding on and address it from to your question of kind of this nutritional piece. And that's a, that oftentimes can be a two-edged sword for families because some individuals with autism are great eaters and they can eat a lot of different textures and that tastes really good to them. And other individuals with autism might have a subset of three or four foods that is all they will eat. And so this poses a really big uh, family challenge, right? Of even families that nutrition is really important and a well-balanced diet. And so this is where, you know, additional kind of research understanding families continuing to try and test out of what is processing well within the body, right? How do we help with that, that gut, you know, biome and understanding what's going on in the individual of things that maybe might be more in invisible, right? Um, with certain subset of, of individuals. Um, so I am hopeful that families continue to look at this, right? No matter the, the severity of the individual with autism, and I'm excited about different technologies that we're seeing that's coming out with this, different um, kind of nutritional solutions of making sure that we're getting kind of the balance to the, the kiddos that maybe wouldn't have normally uh, be eating it or trying it out based on texture, or different sensory challenges. So this is an area of wellness that I encourage families to continue to, to strive for, to try out. Um, I know it can be continuously getting, you know, it, it discouraging for them. Um, but it is important that we get to that kind of, like you said, the basic understanding of the genomes um, within the kiddos through as many solutions as we can to help maximize um, how they're feeling, and therefore we typically see a decrease in behaviors and an increase in readiness and acquisition of skills. Very, very interesting. I, I guess it would be safe to say that a parallel can be drawn with exercise. Uh, is there a, uh, some work being done on that and the role of exercise and physical activity and, and the well-being of these children? Yes. Um, and I, I encourage, again, to bring it back to the whole family, right? Being active as a family um, and encouraging the individuals with, with autism to be active right alongside you, right? There's so many incredible local organizations that are doing, whether it's adaptive soccer, or adaptive skiing, or, you know, trampoline days, um, to be able to, to stay active, um, you know, biking. There's a lot of wonderful um community organizations that are teaching biking to individuals with autism. And the activity component is oftentimes, I think, overlooked just from the standpoint of sometimes it's hard to teach that new skill um, to the individual. And so that was 
as I looked at doing my programming, that is something that I asked every family. Was being active important to you? How can we make sure that the individual with autism is being active? And just like any of us, right, we need to develop that, that muscle tone, that motor planning, um, that gross motor planning, and, and longitudinally to give this skill and this blessing of being active um, to the individual. And so there is wonderful solutions with, with weight, weight training, right. To get the whole family involved. Like I said, biking, even walking, um, finding different kind of sensory solutions. So they're moving their body in different ways, which is also helping with the brain development, um, and the ability to their bodies to be regulated so they can learn. And we see a decrease in behaviors. Um, and so, really finding that sweet spot of activity um, and how do we engage them and how do we get them kind of moving each day. Oftentimes they're really active, right? And so how do we lean into that? How do we take them, you know, to the park? Or again, this is where, you know, making it family, a family fun activity and, and getting that um, individual out there moving their body. And then they're able to oftentimes be much more regulated throughout the day. Um, and we see great learning opportunities if they're regulated and have had movement. Um, and I included this, like I said, in ever, all of my programming always has a an active component um, for for the brain development and well being. You mentioned you mentioned music therapy uh, as one as one of the therapeutic solutions. As an amateur musician myself, I, I love that. You know, I think you know music is 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 a universal language for all of us. Uh, which side of music does music therapy uh, fall in? And, but I, what I mean by that is, is it music therapy as the children listening to music or is it music therapy as the children learning how to play musical instruments or learning how to express themselves through music or is it actually a mixture of the two? I would say it's the mixture of the two. And... This is a beautiful um, way of letting, you know, our children or young adults or individuals outlet kind of their expression that they might not be able to tell us in, in, in any other way, right? Um, unlocking, I always say, you know, part of, our, part of our challenge and our beauty is what are we unlocking in the individual? And we never know when that might be uh, prevalent or evident. And so music through whether it's body rhythm and getting them active um, and sharing and kind of their joy and their expression, but also listening to music can be very calming. And so that can be some of the most kind of calming states that we see with individuals with autism is when they're listening to different kinds of music, um, whether they're engaging with, with dance, playing the musical instruments. Um, there's incredibly talented individuals with autism out there and a, a wide variety of kind of musical expression. And this is something that I encourage every family to test out to see if that's something that um, one is a way for an individual to express themselves that they might not have been able to do so otherwise, or it could potentially be something that's really calming. You, you also mentioned equine therapy. And I, I'm curious, I have seen, uh, and I've actually had the fortune of seeing children with autism working with horses. It is, it is a beautiful thing. They're magnificent animals, you know, all around. And, and to see that interaction uh, that with the children and in, in, in that chemistry, for lack of a better word, 
it's a beautiful thing. So I'm curious about that because obviously not everybody has access to a horse, especially a horse that under that that is being uh, used to work with children. Are there other animals that that like dogs, for example? I mean, dogs do all kinds of amazing things with humans. You know, is there like dog therapy that helps children experiencing you know autism? Yes. So the connection with animals is something that is just <clears throat> such a beautiful um, gift. I think that many individuals with with autism connect very well with animals, and I always, you know, if I have this opportunity to see um, an individual with with autism engage with an animal, I, I always learn so much, right? And it's just this gentle understanding of communication in all these nonverbal ways of unconditional love and calmness. And it, so specifically you asked about kind of two components, right? Of, of how do, how are we understanding more about the therapeutic benefit of with dogs? And there's kind of more and more we're seeing that the dogs can be helpful um, with individuals that oftentimes have pretty severe behaviors and the, the dog can be a really helpful calming strategy for that individual. Um, much like we hear about kind of kind of this this emotional regulation, having having that dog with them when times when maybe they're upset or frustrated or not being able to communicate, that dog can really um, kind of give them an indicator of comfort. And they you know, come whether it's sitting at their feet or the, the child can actually, you know, lay on them and, and regulate and calm themselves down. Um, so this is something that if families are open to, you know, with a, with a therapy animal, with a dog, um, with their child, it can be a really helpful um, strategy for, for the individual. Uh, and then equine therapy, it's, you know, that, that can be a really special um, therapeutic modality for individuals, whether it's equine assisted therapy. And what that means is actually engaging with the horse and learning these functional skills of whether it's um, having to sequence different activities of feeding it or grooming it. And there's a lot of even therapeutic research that we're seeing of what that does to the, <clears throat> for the individual, as far as calming them as well, right? Grooming can be a really calming activity for the individual, but sequencing can be a helpful like pre-vocational work skill. So that's how equine assisted therapy can be really helpful. And then we have equine therapy, um, which is a slightly different therapeutic model. And it's really special in using horses because they're mirror animals. And so if the child is, is exhibiting or the young adult is exhibiting a lot of anxiety, they're going to see that directly reflected. But there's a special understanding, again, through individuals um, on the autism spectrum. And when they are able to, to present very calmly, the horse is very calmly and they're going to nudge them and they're going to be able to, you know, be close to them. And they're going to be able to communicate with them in a way that you don't even need words. And so by helping with that kind of mirror individuals are able to help understand how they can best kind of regulate themselves and calm their own anxieties. And kind of a next component to that equine therapy, and there's different activities that we lead them through, but there's also equine therapy that actually has the child um, or young adult riding. And this can be supported through different caregivers, but through the movement of the horse, and again, this direct kind of 
you know, information channel where the, the child or individual is sending messages to the horse and it's sending back to them, they are learning different things about their body and even kind of this mind-body connection that we wouldn't be able to give them in other ways. Uh, a next component to that is, is hippotherapy, which is actually using horses and it helps. We are doing speech therapy, physical therapy, and OT. And we are seeing great things through research of an increased um, mobility through that. We're actually seeing increased socialization, opportunities to actually saying different words that they wouldn't normally have access to through the special connection with a horse and these different therapeutic modalities. That all sounds fantastic. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Well, we are almost out of time. So how would you summarize our conversation and what would you like to leave the audience with for the families uh, that are listening? Sure. Well, I, I want to reiterate that um, a diagnosis of autism is simply a way of understanding how we might be able to best support or interventions that are available for the child or individually. And there is hope, right? A diagnosis of autism can often be really, um, families take this as it's very confusing, it's very daunting, and I want you to know that there's wonderful research going on, therapeutic intervention, and there's those of us in this community that want to be able to support and come alongside every family. And so the, the whole you know, ethos and mission of my company is restoring hope for families impacted by autism. And there are wonderful solutions out there. And really, we have an obligation to families of neurodiversity um, within those of us within the field that are working, is making sure we're getting you connected to the right solutions for your family to be able to opt optimize outcomes. So I want families to know that they're not alone, that there are solutions and getting you connected to what's important um, individually to your, your child um, to be able to longitudinally know that this odyssey um, can be one of empowerment and really a beautiful thing for families. Wonderfully said. Jessica, this has been wonderful. I'm learning as I go. I am I'm very, very lucky to be able to have these conversations with experts like you and Melissa. Thank you so much for your time and we'll be talking soon. Thanks again, Raphael. My best to you. Mm -hmm.